News, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now think about that. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled, but you're going to be persecuted by unbelievers. You're going to be hated by them. You're going to be excommunicated from the world that you know. And some of you will even be executed. But don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because in the midst of all that, you can have his peace. In fact, in the upper room discourse, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives it, but I give it to you. Christian author C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, described how pain or the fear of pain can assault us and make all our happiness look like broken toys. Then, perhaps we succeed in becoming consciously dependent on God for our strength and our courage. But the moment the pain or threat is removed, we go right back to our toys. C.S. Lewis wrote, Let him but sheathe the sword for a minute, and I behave like a puppy when the hated bath is over. I shake myself as dry as I can and race off to reacquire my comfortable dirtiness in the nearest flower bed. And that is why tribulation cannot cease until God sees us remade. Jesus promised we would see tribulation. Hard times are inevitable for the Christ follower, sometimes as chastisement, sometimes simply so that our lives can better show the world what it is to be wholly devoted to Christ. Yet Jesus told us not to worry about it. For most of us, that is much easier said than done. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is helping us deal successfully with our natural tendency to worry. Our text in this series of lessons is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been teaching there for over 27 years, and it is our joy to make these practical Bible lessons available to you through this radio station. Anxiety is a part of the human condition that has always wasted today's time and cluttered it with tomorrow's imagined disasters. But for the Christian, worry is a lot more than just a waste of time and energy. It is a denial of our profession of faith, and it is a serious insult to God. But we are not fated to helplessly suffer anxiety while putting the lie to our testimony. There is victory to be had over worry. Let's go to God's Word to see why worry is wrong and how we can overcome it. Here is Pastor Steve. The late Donald Gray Barnhouse was a very well-known Bible teacher and pastor in the city of Philadelphia. His wife, though a very godly Christian woman, had a serious problem with worry. By her own admission, Mrs. Barnhouse was a constant warrior who struggled a great deal with anxiety. And so in an effort to help his wife with this problem, Dr. Barnhouse gave her a book with blank pages and told her that for the next six months, he wanted her to write down uh, in this book every single thing that she worried about. And they would get together six months later and look this book over. Well, six months ended. They sat down together. They reviewed the book and discovered that not one single thing this woman had worried about had ever materialized. Nothing. Not one thing. Now think about how useless her worrying was. What a waste of time. What a waste of of energy in her life. 
But I want you to understand that worry is not only a matter of misspent time and energy. It is that, but it's not only that. It goes beyond that. Worry is a horrible sin. Worry is wrong. Worry is a violation of the word of God. It dishonors the God of the word. And that's why the Lord Jesus so forcefully and bluntly spoke about the sin of worry in his Sermon on the Mount. Now, we began to look at this passage last week, but let's turn to it again, Matthew chapter 6, because we only got halfway through, and we want to complete our study this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm starting at verse 25. For this reason, Jesus said, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by, adding, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, And so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, as we discovered from our study last week, that in these verses, Jesus doesn't simply tell us that worrying is wrong. That would just take one one statement, worrying is wrong. He goes beyond that by explaining why it's so wrong, why it's wrong, as well as he teaches us how to have victory over this sin. So the Lord doesn't simply say it's wrong. He says it's wrong because of these reasons. And here's what you can do about it. And that's very important. Victory over worry can be yours. It can be experienced. You can have anxiety, but yet you can have victory over that. You can have been defeated. You could have been defeated in the past, but when you apply these truths to your lives, you can have victory over it. Some of us, some of us have been very beaten down by worry. We worry incessantly about so many things, and sometimes you feel like, you know what, this is just part of my life, I can't get rid of it, but you can, and that's why we study the Word of God. The Bible says that you can have peace in the midst of any kind of trial and difficulty, whether it's related to money, your job, your health, your, your marriage, your family, no matter what it is, no matter what your set of circumstances might be, Scripture says that, that God's peace can be yours. Now, I read before Philippians chapter 4, and I don't know if you caught it, but two times in those brief verses, the Apostle Paul speaks about God's peace. He speaks of the peace that passes all comprehension as we cast our cares on the Lord. And then he said, and the God of peace shall be with you. And remember, Paul wrote that while he was under house arrest in the city of Rome, not knowing whether he was going to be executed or not. And the church at Philippi had all kinds of problems. They had some internal problems, some conflicts. And yet Paul said, you can have peace no matter how difficult your set of circumstances are. But what I'd like you to see is a very interesting illustration of all this. John chapter 14. 
John chapter 14 is what is known as the farewell discourse of our Lord. It's also known as the upper room discourse because Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem the night he was arrested. Remember, he had the Passover meal, which he turned into the Lord's Supper. But the purpose of this meeting was primarily to give his, his followers instructions on what life would be without him in what we call the church age, this age. What would life be without his physical presence? And, and they were scared, and they were troubled, and they didn't understand all that was going on, but they knew something was going on. And that's why the Lord opened up chapter 14, verse 1, by saying, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. Now, that's a very interesting statement. He's essentially saying, don't worry. Don't fret. Don't let your heart be troubled. But just a little later that night, the Lord told his disciples about all kinds of trouble that they would be facing with his departure. In chapter 15, towards the end of chapter 15 and into chapter 16, Jesus spoke to them about persecution. He said in verse 19 of 15, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, not of this world, but I have chosen you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Don't let your heart be troubled, but by the way, you're going to be hated. And not just hated in attitude, they're going to do something about it. Chapter 16, verse 2, same, same flow and same theme about persecution and hatred. He says, they will make you outcast from the synagogue. It means that you're going to be excommunicated from your synagogue. Now, that's a tough thing. These were Jewish men, grew up in an environment of the synagogues where their family went, that's where their relatives went, that's where all their friends went. Yeah, you're going to be put out. You're not going to be welcome there. You're going to be forbidden. You're going to be taken off the rolls. It's like you're not even alive anymore. Then he said, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. Excommunication is really the least of your problems. Some of you are going to be murdered for your faith. Now think about that. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled, but... You're going to be persecuted by unbelievers. You're going to be hated by them. You're going to be excommunicated from the world that you know. And some of you will even be executed. But don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because in the midst of all that, you can have his peace. In fact, in the upper room discourse, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives it, but I give it to you. And then as if he didn't, they didn't hear enough, he closes the upper room discourse by saying in verse 33, in the world, you have tribulation. You will have tribulation. So the question is this. If living in this world means trials and tribulations, and it does, then how do we live so that we do not succumb to worry? If we have all kinds of problems going on, not not just from unbelievers, we have all kinds of circumstances and, and issues facing us. How do we have victory over worry? Well, the answer is that God has provided teaching in his word to tell us how to think properly And if you think properly, you will have victory over worry. And that's why we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what the passage is about in Matthew chapter 6. It's about how to have victory over worry. Now, as we we discovered last week, in the closing verses of chapter 6, Jesus taught us that not only is worry wrong, but he said that, that it's wrong because it is incompatible with some key biblical truths. It will not mix. It, it's in conflict with biblical truth. There are four of them that Jesus speaks of in this passage. Four incompatibilities with worry that he speaks of. 
Now, last week, we discovered two of these incompatibilities, and I'm going to quickly review. Number one, worry is incompatible with the biblical concept of life. In verse 25, Jesus said, for this reason, I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. And then notice this. He, he raises a question in their minds to, to think about. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's a rhetorical question. Of course it is. Of course it is. What is our life about? It, it's not about being obsessed with ourselves. It's not about keeping ourselves alive. It's not about maintaining our existence. He said, what is your life? Consider the meaning and purpose of life. And the answer is, is that God has given us life. We didn't choose to be alive. We didn't vote on getting life. We're alive because God chose to give us life. And the reason he gave us life is so that we would honor him with our lives. That's what our life is about. The purpose and meaning of life for a believer in Christ is to turn around and give our lives to the Lord and glorify him and worship him and honor him by being obedient to him. It is not about ourselves. It is about him. We, we say with the apostle Paul who told the Philippians for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Life is about living for him. It's about living for him. So Why is worry wrong? Well, the first reason worry is so wrong is because it is just incompatible with the biblical concept of life. We need to see the big picture. What is our life all about? Why do we live? We live to honor him. Secondly, the second reason why worrying is wrong is because worry is incompatible with the character of God, not only the biblical concept of life, but the very character of God is is what makes worry so so silly, so, so contradictory to Scripture. In verses 26 through 30, which I'll, not, which I'll not read again, but I want to, as I pointed out last week, the key phrase in these verses is that last phrase in verse 30, you of little faith. The Lord is pointing out that the primary reason that worrying is, is so sinful is that it demonstrates little faith in God. Now, he didn't say no faith. These were believers, right? The Sermon on the Mount is directed to his people. So he's simply saying that the, the reason why worrying is wrong is because you have such shallow faith. So, so faith that is so small. We may indeed have trusted Christ to save our souls for eternity, but yet we worry about the mundane daily things of life. And so to increase our faith, which is the point of this, Jesus reminds us of two important truths about the very character of God. First, he declares that God is a loving, compassionate heavenly father who cares for us and therefore he can be trusted to provide for us and he illustrates the truth of God's care and his compassion by pointing out that if God supplies food for simple relatively insignificant birds and he clothes the grass of the field with magnificent but very short-lived flowers then certainly can't we trust him to provide and care for us because we're far more valuable he says than than birds and the implication is in grass too we are his children We're his children. We're not birds. We're not grass. We're his eternal children. Now, that's the first truth about God's character that we need to keep in mind. God is our heavenly father. He's not aloof. He's not removed from us. He's our father. We're not not, uh, inanimate and animate objects to him. We're his children. He's promised to take care of us. But there's a second truth about God's character that is so wonderful that the Lord brings out. In, in the middle of all of this, he says in verse 27, and who of you by being worried can add, a, can add a single hour to his life? What a great statement. What a great question. And the answer, of course, is no one. 
No one. Because God has ordained and sovereignly, and this is the point, the character of God is that he is sovereign. He has sovereignly ordained and determined your lifespan, my lifespan. We don't know when it's going to end, but God does. And all the worrying in the world won't change anything. Worry is a waste of time, but it also dishonors the Lord. It's, it's as if we're saying to him, I can figure it out. If I, just, if I just worry enough and I just become obsessed with myself, I can keep myself alive longer than, than you or anyone else would think. And that's, that's absolutely wrong. You can't. You can't live a moment longer than God has ordained for you. Now, keep in mind the balance in Scripture is that we're not to be reckless and irresponsible. Remember what Jesus said when, when Satan tempted him and said, why don't you jump down from the pinnacle of the temple and remember that he'll give his angels charge over you and the Lord, in essence, said, why would I do something as foolish as that? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It's like saying, if I jump in front of a, a speeding train, could, I, could God keep me alive? Sure, but I doubt that he's going to do it. Why would he do a miracle to keep you alive when you're that foolish? So we're not to be reckless and irresponsible. But what the Lord does mean is that you don't need to worry about your, your health or your safety or a terrorist attack or, or airplane travel or anything else. You don't have to worry about it. Don't be foolish. And do reckless things to see how, how close to the edge you can go. You just can't live a moment longer than God has determined for you to live. So don't worry about it. Live your life the way, the way the Lord wants you to live it. And understand he's a loving father and he's sovereign. So trust him. Trust him. Now today we want to continue our study by looking at the final two reasons why worrying is so wrong. The third reason why worrying is wrong is because not only is it incompatible with the biblical concept of life, as well as the character of God, but it is also incompatible with the very character of believers, the way we're to behave, the way we're to conduct our lives as, as Christians. And I want to read to you verses 31 and into verse 32. Jesus said, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? And then notice he says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. The essential bottom line meaning and gist of these words is that the reason we shouldn't worry about food, water, clothing, which would be the necessities for maintaining our physical existence is because that's what unbelievers worry about. And we're not unbelievers. We're different. In fact, isn't that, as we've said many times, the overall theme of the Sermon on the Mount? You're different than unbelievers. You're different than religious hypocrites. You're different than secular unbelievers. Don't behave like them. Don't think like them. You have a different character. You've been transformed by, by grace. Make sure your outward conduct as well as your internal attitudes are different. You're to be different. And now the Lord says, don't worry like unbelievers. Be different than they are. Now, in mentioning the term Gentiles, Jesus was referring uh, not simply to Gentiles, but Gentile pagans, unbelievers of his day, the heathen, we would say, in contrast to the Jewish people of his day who at least had some idea of a biblical worldview. They had some concept of a biblical worldview. That wasn't true, though, of these pagan Gentiles, by and large. There may have been some exceptions, but by and large, the Gentiles of Christ's day were totally ungodly, unbiblical in the way they thought, the way they behaved. And it's very interesting, years later, writing to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gave a profile of unbelievers, Gentile unbelievers. And I want to read this to you, Ephesians chapter 4. And what I'm about to read is just as pertinent to secular unbelievers today as it was to their ancient counterparts in the first century. So, so don't think that this is irrelevant. This is just about ancient man. It has nothing to do with us today. This is exactly how unsaved man is. 
Verse 17 so of Ephesians 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Meaning you're different now. Don't, don't behave like, like you once did. In the futility of their mind. That's how they behave. <laughs> Being darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, did you catch that? Did you catch that? Based on their futile, darkened, calloused, ignorant mindset, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, tells us that Gentiles, just like that, eagerly, he said, they seek all of these things. Now, what do you mean by this? He meant that the all-consuming passion of unbelievers is material goods. That's what they live for. That's their ambition in life. It's what he called in the previous passage. Remember, treasures on earth. That's how this last passage ties in with this passage. You get the right mindset about treasures and you'll be on your way to not worrying about them. You'll store treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And the thought I might add in the original Greek is even stronger than the way it's translated in our English Bibles. The Greek actually states that that they not only, the Gentiles not only eagerly seek the tangible physical items of this world, but that they earnestly, they intently seek after these things. And it's actual, actually a continuous action. They are continuously seeking after these things. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that pursuing material things is the ongoing driving force behind the lives of unbelievers. This is their major ambition in life, folks. This is the obtaining physical things is what they, what they live for. And you know what? When you think about it, why shouldn't it be? What else do they have? What else do they have to live for? They live for these things. Folks, this is what defines their life. The life of an unbeliever is defined by nothing else than grabbing for all the gusto they can get in life. This is really why the philosophy of the unsaved man can be summed up in these words. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. We die. That's what life is about. See, the ancient as well as modern day pagans live, live like this because they absolutely have no eternal perspective. It's all about now. It's, it's all about the present material age, the stuff of this world. They have nothing else to live for. And notice this, more, watch this, more significantly, they have no one else to help them obtain the things that they so desperately seek. No one else. Years ago, some friends of ours lost all their worldly possessions when the small cargo ship carrying their household goods sank on the way to their new mission work in Honduras. The captain died in the wreck, as did one passenger. She drowned because she went back into her cabin to get her purse. What a contrast between the passenger who could not live without her purse and our friends who trusted God to supply all their needs. In just two weeks, by God's grace, supporters had replaced everything they had lost, except, of course, for things like recipes and family photos. Are you eagerly seeking those things, or are you trusting in your loving and powerful Heavenly Father? I want to thank you today for listening to another Verse by Verse. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff will be back next time, Lord willing, to continue this series of lessons on victory over worry. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
His pulpit messages make the transformation to radio Bible classes through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by listeners like you. Today's class was the start of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message, please call us and order a CD or a cassette. Our telephone number is 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. If you missed the start of today's class or you would like to go back and hear the previous lessons in this series, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have dozens of MP3 files available for free on the archives page. That web address again, if you missed it, is versebyverseradio.org. The natural person makes their God in their own image, so they have good reason to worry. But the genuine believer follows the living, infinitely perfect creator of the universe, and he is completely reliable. I hope you'll join us for more on Overcoming Worry on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. We are here to give you strength between